Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Farrell, and I'm joined here today by Mr. Andrew Jones, the District Attorney of Nacogdoches County. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing well, sir. Well, thank you for joining us today. And um, so we kind of start these things off with your story, what led you up to um, being the district attorney, whether that started in law school, your interest in criminal law or beforehand. Um, we just kind of like to see different people's paths to, to where they are today. Sure. Well, so uh, just going all the way back and then we'll fast forward. So I was... Uh, Born in Texas and San Antonio, but I was raised in Missouri, St. Louis, and then I graduated high school in Houston. Um, everybody always asks, you know, were you a military brat? No, my dad worked for Southwestern Bell, and that was just so we bounced around. But, uh, you know, I kind of got into or developed an interest in the law pretty early. Uh, my dad's oldest brother, my uncle, uh, was an attorney, and he always, he was, I don't know, just impressive as a person, his, just talking to him uh, uh, about things. He, he just had a very um, accurate way of describing things. Um, and he was careful with his words. And that was always interesting to me. Um, and, uh, but, I, you know, I, I, had the, the, I had that thought that I wanted to be an attorney, um, but... I didn't have the drive. I didn't have the discipline. And so I kind of floundered a lot in undergrad and, and cause I just, I just didn't have any focus. So I left, um, I spent six years in the infantry, um, which will give you the focus and the drive. Uh, and it, it really, uh, helped push that, that idea from when I was young into a reality. And so when I got out of the military, um, I came back, finished up grad school. Apparently, if you just show up for class and study, you can make pretty good grades. So I was able to pull my GPA out of the dirt, went to grad school for uh, public policy, public administration, and then um, went to St. Mary's Law School in San Antonio. Um, and I knew that I had three years, three years to make the biggest impact that I could make. Uh, so I got involved in everything that I can get involved in. I uh, served on law review. Um, was a, a associate editor, then a, I think a senior executive editor, um, and I was in the external advocacy programs. I was the vice chair of board of advocates. I was the faculty, kind of the student rep for the for the faculty uh, advocacy committee. Um, Try to get in, in, into all of those things, a order of barristers, because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, but there's about four or five attorneys in my family, and they all did civil defense work. And so that's kind of naturally where I felt like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I had interned with um, some pretty big firms and then did an intern summer internship at the Supreme Court of Texas um, and realized that last internship, not with the Supreme Court, but with a big firm in, in San Antonio, that I did not want to do that. Um, you know, taking big stacks of paper and turning them into small stacks and not seeing the inside of courtroom for five years was not really what I wanted to do. Um, and so prosecution was never really on my radar um, until uh, I had a good long talk with actually my evidence professor, who was a former JAG, uh, Professor Schleter. You know, he's got the, he did the Aspen book on evidence, if you've, if you've ever had the pleasure of going through it, reading it. Uh, <laughs> excellent guy. 
Um, and uh, he kind of put that in my head and uh, I wanted to give it a shot because I, I figure, well, I was not a non-traditional student and uh, I wanted to get in somewhere where I felt like I could do the most good because that's ultimately why I got in to law. I, I spent six years in service. I loved that idea and the aspect of giving something rather than just taking and, and prosecution just seemed more of a natural fit. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I made some phone calls, uh, had a new guy appear as an attorney in Nacogdoches and, uh, he was, he was a County attorney. Um, and you know, he didn't have any open spots, but the district attorney's office just lost a prosecutor at the time to the U S attorney's office. So, uh, there was an opening there and I was able to get my foot in the door that way. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the former DA, she would tell you herself, she wasn't, the teaching was not her thing. And so it was a sink or swim for, for me. Uh, I think my first felony trial in the 420th uh, district court was, a, I think a seven or eight count indictment. Um, and it wasn't dope. It was, you know, kidnapping, aggravated assault, rape. Uh, burglary, violate, repeated violation, protective order, that sort of stuff. So it was a, it was a doozy. But after that one, I was, I was hooked. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. How was that um, kind of skipping over misdemeanor and going straight into felony? I mean, I didn't know any different. Yeah. You know, um, I, the, the folks, the experienced prosecutors that I've talked to have said that it, it's Pretty rare. I mean, uh, granted, there. I think there's 36 or 37 different jurisdictions across the state that have offices set up like ours, which is felony only judicial district attorney's office. Uh, and we have a, a, a wonderful relationship with the county attorney's office, but they're responsible for prosecution of misdemeanors. For me, um, not having had the misdemeanor experience, I, I didn't know what I was missing. I will say, though, that the I think it can affect your ability uh, earlier on to obtain really solid convictions. Um, but short of that, it's, you're, it's all learning anyway. Uh, so I, I didn't know any different. So. It's interesting. It just seems like kind of you have this big impactful case, like you said, a seven, eight count indictment as your first trial. Right. Whereas you maybe have a first time DWI or something as a, as a typical prosecutor, but um, well, so we're not doing that now. So, you know, with the prosecutors that are coming in, it's, you're not getting thrown into the wolves, thrown into the wolves. It's a graduated program that you work into. And, and so you would start, you know, reviewing cases and then getting into court and handling docket and then handling motions and handling, you know, pretrial, uh, pretrial stuff uh, hearings, suppressions, that sort of stuff, bench trials. And then you, you move into probably some low level dope cases, see how you do, see how you put it together. Um, or maybe some petty theft enhanced state jail felonies, that sort of thing. Um, and then you, you work up into the aggravated offenses, your, your kidnappings, murders, and rapes. So is it still pretty typical for you guys to hire, um, out of law school or unexperienced attorneys, I guess, like fresh attorneys out of law school? Well, it, I wouldn't say it's, I, I was that situation. Uh, we've had 
a couple others that have worked out that way. I wouldn't say it's typical, but we're not going to foreclose any opportunities because you either it's what's most important, at least with us is whether or not you've got the right philosophy or the right perspective for a prosecutor. And, you know, is your personality one that can get along with everybody in the office? Cause I mean, interpersonal skills in an office that's comprised of 12, 13 people, you've got to get along with everybody or at least most everybody, most of the time, otherwise this won't work. Um, and so it's, I can, I, I, I I've got a, a, my chief paralegal, who's our, she's kind of our den mama. Um, she says, look, I can, we can teach skills, um, can't teach personality. So, uh, you know, if we, I, I will never foreclose students coming right out of law school and brand new attorneys coming into the office because you're missing out on some potential wonderful candidates and wonderful prosecutors. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I guess with that said, do you see, um, more attorneys go towards the county attorney's office first and then kind of graduate up towards the district attorney's office in your county, or do you kind of just see either way? Uh, so we have not had that. Um, I think those, we don't have a big turnover rate here. And so those in the county attorney's office typically stay in the county attorney's office. And uh, those in the DA's office typically stay in the DA's office. The county attorney, John Fleming, who's a about the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Um, I think he'd, he, he'd probably uh, bust a blood vessel if I started poaching folks from his office all the time. <laughs> so, no, we have a wonderful working relationship. But, and if he needs help in misdemeanors or we need help in felonies, we can, you know, we kind of cross work um, on some stuff. Um, but, but no, we don't actually, uh, we don't have a, a system where they come from the county attorneys up into our office. And I guess I should kind of take a step back here for our listeners. Um, I don't know if we've really had the chance to speak to a county where there's a separation between a district attorney and a county attorney's office. So, uh, do you mind kind of explaining the difference and what each office uh, handles? That's uh, yeah, absolutely. So we'll, Across the state, there's a bunch of different ways uh, that it's set up. I say a bunch, several different ways it's set up. Here, we have a, and the easiest way to tell is if they're titled criminal district attorney, if it's a criminal district attorney's office, they are handling felonies and misdemeanors. Um, if it is a judicial district attorney's office, it is felony only. The difference between the two, though, is your criminal DA's offices will only have one county and your judicial district attorney's offices can have several counties. Now, we are only one county. We're a single county judicial DA's office. Um, but some judicial DA's offices have multiple counties. In those situations where you have a judicial DA's office, it's felony only. Uh, a lot of times you will see the county attorney's office prosecute the misdemeanor offenses, and we prosecute the felonies. How you split up the rest of it kind of depends on the jurisdiction. So, for instance, our county attorney's office handles CPS. We handle juveniles. Um, and the in some of the other counties, uh, like I know one county north of us, they actually don't have a DA. It's a county attorney with felony authority. Uh, so they essentially operate the same way as a criminal district attorney's office. Uh, but but yeah, that's our, ours is a judicial district attorney's office, and it's it's felony only. 
Okay. And then you guys also handle juvenile cases as well, no matter misdemeanor felony, just all right. the juvenile cases. All the juveniles, yes. And I think you said earlier you have about 12 to 13 people in your office. So how many attorneys do you have um, in your office? Well, there's five, including myself. So four assistants. Okay. Um, so with your, with your attorneys um, and your kind of area there, do you, you said you don't see a lot of turnover. So do you tend to, are you currently kind of in an expansion or are you sort of still in your same 12 to 13 people? So we, believe it or not, we just had the expansion. So we are, um, the ARPA funds from COVID relief, uh, we were able to make use of that through the county commissioner's court. They were gracious enough to allocate uh, a good portion of those funds um, to, which are grant funds from the federal government to expand the, the office. Uh, I was able to obtain two more paralegals and a prosecutor spot. Uh, which then gave us two prosecutors, ideally two in each district court. So we have two district courts here and then myself to be able to float between. Um, and uh, so we, we did undergo a, a recent expansion, but we're not being able to effectively utilize all of the positions because um, we can't, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to find prosecutors. If you're on the TDCA website, you look at the open positions, which is the Texas District and County Attorneys Association. You go to their their uh, their job bank, and uh, I mean it's bigger than it's ever been. So it's it's not just us; it's across the state. But um, no, we are we're utilizing the the uh, COVID relief funds from federal government, um, and then the county is kind of amortizing the blow to their budget over a course of four years. So, hundred percent funded the first year. 75% from ARPA, 25 from county, so on and so forth. After the end of the fourth year, we're 100% funded by, by the county. And it, it, it needed to happen a, a long time ago, um, but we've got some pretty conservative uh, commissioners that, um, and a pretty conservative county, and so they are pretty tight with the tax dollars. Yeah. So how is that sort of, you're, you're, you're a smaller town in East Texas. So how is it sort of with your jury pool and that sort of thing where you kind of have probably a lot of people that know each other and are familiar with each other? Um, how do you sort of handle that sort of thing there? Well, so I, you know, I think as far as jury trials go, you can address it in board ire and that's pretty easy in jury selection. And, and, you know, you ask the question, does anybody here know me or anybody in my office? And based on that knowledge, whether good or bad, could you set that aside, be fair and impartial, or can you not? And so we're able to eliminate through voir dire those that just can't set that aside. Um, but it's really not too much of an issue. I will say that, yeah, there are times when um, we have uh, acquaintances, friends of mine that will get in trouble and the the rule is don't call me mm -hmm. you know so i don't play that game uh it does not matter who you are uh but yeah those are realistic um situations that we do actually find ourselves in um but it's it's really it's not an overwhelming amount of the time and we have yet to really have any major issue with regard to those kinds of scenarios that you've mentioned okay. 
Um, so kind of going towards new prosecutors and young attorneys, um, with your office specifically, what do you kind of look for when you're hiring young prosecutors? Um, willingness to learn, uh, and recognizing that you don't know. And, and, and I mean, we've got all the theory coming out of law school, right? We, Hey, we've, we've studied, you'll never know more, um, than, you know, after taking the bar or well, right after the bar or, uh, but, but the, uh, it's those individuals that come in that recognize that they don't know everything and that they're willing to learn and that they're willing to take constructive criticism. Um, those often are the ones that will make the best prosecutors because if you come in hot and heavy thinking, you know, everything you're going to fall on your face pretty quick. You're still going to fall on your face. Uh, it just happens. Uh, but I've found that, especially with some of the smaller things, the, the lesson learned in error is the lesson remembered. And so, you know, sometimes we let you kind of fall on your face because you won't forget it. Uh, that happened to me numerous times and I did, I will never forget those, but it made me a better attorney. Um, so yeah, the qualities of just being willing to learn, um, being open to learning, um, but also just having, we, we deal with really dark stuff. You know, I mean, you're, you're dealing with the dregs, the worst things that folks can do to one another. And so having thick skin also given the situation that you find yourself in at work, uh, there's a lot of dark humor, um, that floats around. Uh, and I think it's a nat, whether healthy or not, I don't know, but it's a natural, um, I think byproduct of, of dealing with a lot of this stuff and it's a coping mechanism, but uh, I think having thick skin um, as well as just being open to, to learn is, is, is what's going to make a really good prosecutor. Well, for those of you interviewing in, in August with uh, Nacogdoches, those are some, some good tips to, uh, to be aware of. And um, while, while we're on the topic, um, uh, we try to kind of talk about starting salaries as well and that sort of thing. So um, what is your guys' current starting salary for uh, so attorneys? Current as of right now, I think is just under 85,000. Um, but that uh, the legislature just passed the uh, rural prosecutor bill. It's for, it's actually for sheriff's constables and prosecutors in counties uh, less than 300,000. And they've, they've kind of created three different brackets and we fall into the last bracket, which is, I think it's from 50,000 to 300,000. Well, there's 67,000 people in the county, right? So from 50,000 to 300,000, we fall in there. That'll give us an extra 200 and I think 70 or $75,000 per year that can only be spent on personnel costs for prosecutors, investigators, and victim advocates. And that's it. So that money in an office this size can go a really long way. And obviously the first, the, the first cut would go to those who have the experience because they're, they've been far underpaid for far too long, but there's going to be a lot left over. And I would expect, and I plan on ensuring that that position that's open will be adequately funded and ideally get it into six figures. And that is going to be not this October, but next October. That's about what we're looking at. That's that's a good string salary. I mean, that's that could be well, really nice. You gotta be competitive. 
Cool. Yeah. So we've got to be competitive with our major metropolitan areas. Um, and I know they don't start them off that high, but they also start third chair or intake misdemeanor, work their way up. Uh, they can work their way up pretty quickly uh, if they're good, but we don't really have a lot of that. And so being able to have a low cost of living in a county like this, where you have a good, a, a good size university, um, you get... I think you get a, a lot of bang for your buck because six figures goes a pretty far long way in Nacogdoches uh, as compared to Austin or Dallas or Houston, San Antonio. So uh, that's, that's the hope. Um, and I'm, it's been, it's passed, it's signed into law. It, sh- it, will, it has got to be funded by January one of uh, this following year, 2024. And then, uh, come the uh, fiscal beginning of the fiscal year following that, which would be October of 2024, is when the uh, the funds will begin to be provided to our county. And so that we that's when I would be bumping the um, that position salary from 85 to probably starting right at 100. Be my guess. That's, that's awesome. Um, so kind of speaking of the the county itself. Um, what do you kind of find that people like to do in the county or like to go to um, sort of like the more life aspects of uh, living out there in Nacogdoches? So it is kind of a unique thing. We are in deep East Texas, uh, but because of the university, we're afforded a lot of different things. So um, we the, believe it or not, we, we, they've got a wonderful fine arts program there. So they bring in, if you like that sort of thing where you've got orchestra, your symphony, um, playing, playing the, uh, the ballet, uh, they've, they've got a lot of that that comes through, um, Nacogdoches because of the fine arts program. So there's always events like that plays and whatnot going on uh, at the university. Um, but it is also college town. So, you know, you do have a lot of younger individuals here. Um, and so there's, I will say that I've got two kids and uh there are five and we don't run out of things to do for them uh there's a lot of parks in the area uh there's a water park in the area um they've got a lot of different recreational things to do outside there's a lot of trails in the forests so we have an experimental forest so you get a lot of really cool different flora and fauna as you're walking through the forest to see what thrives in east texas but it is beautiful to walk through um and and you know if you're living in the city obviously there's there's, everything's a little more close at hand to do, um, but you are going to naturally just miss out on some of the things that go on in your bigger cities. Uh, but once you get, it's so important to get plugged wherever you wind up in a small town, whether it's here or somewhere else, it's so important just to get plugged in um, to the community because that opens up all of those doors. Once you start meeting people, making friends um, uh, with uh, some of the locals, you find that you're, you'll, you'll never go without. Um, and Nacogdoches is no exception to that. Um, there's some times when it's wonderful to be anonymous, uh, but uh, not here. So you're, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna run into folks that you, you know, you know, shopping at, at, at Kroger or uh, walking around campus or whatever. It's inevitable, but that's also a wonderful aspect of it. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but there's, to answer your question in short, no. I mean, there's there's plenty to do. Fine arts, you know, your agriculture, a lot of trails. If you like being outside, um, a lot of bike paths, that sort of stuff. So it's um, it's 
yeah, it's a college town and yeah, you got your bars and whatnot, but I mean, there's, you've, it's on the, the, I don't know if you're into uh, Texas country music, but we're on the Texas country circuit with Bonita Creek Hall. So all those guys come around all the time. Um, and, and we try to go to those, um, as, as frequently as, as life allows, uh, which in the past couple of years has been a goose egg zero, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, uh, I will say the assistants here in the office do make, they do make use of that. And, and they're all younger than I am. And, and, uh, so they, they, they go to those things. And, and now I'm at that age where I'm just like, there's too many people and I'm yeah. bussy. So <laughs> So I just, I just stay away. Well, that's fun. It, it sounds like you can still get a pretty good, well-rounded life there. Well, yes. uh, yeah. And there's, there's a charter school, actually the SFA charter school. Um, Cause what, one of the unique things about this community also is that it, it, we have a charter school. It's like ranked number one in the state. So, so for your, your young kids, you know, when you have kids, you want to make sure that they get into some good schools and have a good education in the charter school. I think so. it fluctuates between one, two, and three in the state consist pretty consistently over the past since it's been open. And I know, cause I know schools are a big deal. Um, and that goes through from K to five. And there's a lot of other, you've got the Nacogdoches ISD, but you also have the surrounding community ISDs. Um, and so I, I know that when considering places to come, you, you do want to make sure that they're adequate schools. Uh, that's been a big issue. Um, I know for my wife and I, when we were originally thinking about where we wanted to move. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, to have the, the good schools and stuff. So I know a lot of the, the Baylor folks have kids or some of them have kids and stuff. So it's good to kind of mm-hmm. have that in mind as you're going that way. Yeah, yeah. And everybody in the office has got kids. And so that it does help make sure that, you know, if you've got life that happens, uh, I, we don't, we're not punching clocks here. Everybody's an adult. Everybody's a professional. Everybody's a prosecutor or a paralegal or investigator support staff, whatever. But I expect everybody to kind of handle their business, but if they need to pick up and go because, you know, their, their, their kid got in trouble or whatever, go handle business. We don't do that where, where it's, Oh, you've got to get permission or, Hey, you got to take time. Uh-uh. No, just handle your business. Cause there's a lot of trust put in the folks in this office just to make sure that they're doing what they're doing. And when you do that and you create a supportive environment like that, um, you get a better end product. You just yeah. do. So. And it's nice. You all are kind of together all the time. I mean, you got what five, four or five of you, you said, so mm-hmm. you guys kind of all work together through, through everything. Yeah. So it's, it's well, good. and that's, it, that, and that's one of the other things on the thick skin aspect of it is sometimes you're going to do something that others don't like and mm-hmm. they're going to hit you up about it. But at the end of the day, you can get happy in the same pants you got mad at. And that's, I mean, everybody does that. And this, fa- this, this is a small family. And I don't, when I hear small family, sometimes there's a red flag going off, but to me, I, it really is a, it's a small work community and you work so closely with one another that you can have those relationships where you can be frank and honest with one another and not feel like you have to walk around in eggshells. Um, the one thing I do not want in the office is, is drama that it takes away from our mission as well as just, it festers, it becomes a poison in the well. Um, and it's just, so yeah, we cut that mess out quick, but, the it's, it's, and that includes me though. So if, Hey, some, if I'm doing something and somebody has got a problem with it, the door's open, come tell me, oh, be right. But, uh, <laughs> you know. 
you're not going to get fired over it, but I'm, I'm going to wear you down if you're not right. So, uh, uh, no, but, but I want there to be that open discourse because if it, you let it fester and it just goes unspoken, it, it really is poison. So, so I'm kind of curious. I, I want to go back to you. You said you were in the military for six years. Um, so I'm kind of curious, how did that um, sort of affect your your style with prosecution or your style as now uh, a leader of an office? You know, I think it certainly informed my leadership abilities. It certainly cultivated those leadership abilities. I probably, just like with cases you lose, you learn more with those than you do with the ones you win. I learned more from bad leaders than I did from good ones. But I also looked at, I did still learn from those good ones. You learned what to look for um, in, in you know, good quality. Uh, well, we had team members, but um, yeah, good quality team and, and kind of putting that together uh, as well as the leadership philosophy. Uh, military leaders, you're the first one in and the last one out. And because if you're the one, if you're working hardest, then there can never be somebody else that is in that office that says, well, you know, he's not pulling his weight. That ain't it. So I may not be the smartest guy in the room, but I will outwork everybody. And, and so for me, uh, I, I kind of take that, those lessons learned in the military, uh, that attention to detail uh, and the focus and the drive. And I've been able to push myself to, well, frankly, where I am now and, yeah. and continue to push. But to be better. And so using the military and that experience um, has been great for leadership, but also it's, I lived in a bubble. I didn't know I lived in a bubble until I joined the military and that bubble got busted quick. So being able to work with all different folks from all different backgrounds, realizing that you're all wearing the same uniform, you're all trying to accomplish the same mission. That's no different than what we're doing here. It does not matter where you come from. It matters who you are and what you're going to do. And so being able to utilize that has also given me kind of breadth with regard to um, understanding people um, because this is, that's the business is understanding people, why they do what they do uh, and, and whether it's an employee or a defendant. Um, but any varied experience, life experiences are always great for prosecutors because you don't want to be this individual who sits in an ivory tower that's never done wrong or can't understand others that do wrong. Um, and if you've never kind of intermingled with those socioeconomic backgrounds or those people from that area uh, or from that area of society, you're not going to understand where they're coming from. You, as well-intentioned as you, you may be, you're not going to understand where they're coming from because you never had to scrape together you know, two nickels or whatever. Um, and I think, so the military definitely, because you're not paid well in the Army because I was enlisted. It was, I wasn't an officer. I was enlisted. And so I was an enlisted infantry grunt that jumped out of airplanes. And it was a blast, and I loved it. But it gave me a very unique perspective that I bring here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such an awesome mentality to have too. I mean, just kind of always working to be better and never just being satisfied with where you are. I mean, you're, right. you're at basically the top of what you think you can be, but you're still right. pushing yourself to go further, which I think well, is awesome. Just like practicing medicine, we practice law. 
<clears throat> we practice law. We're, we're never going to be experts in all of it. And so we can always be better. Yeah. So, so um, as we sort of wrap up here, what kind of like parting advice do you have for law students that um, may be interested in prosecution, whether that's in uh, Nacogdoches or like smaller county or even just prosecution in general? Um, it, that's hard because I think so much of it comes from experience, but I would say going into it, if you have the mentality that of doing the right thing the right way for the right reasons, then I, I, I don't see how you're going to fail because if you're coming at it and being willing to stick to your guns, if, if somebody gets called to the carpet for for something that maybe the, the, the DA, wherever they are, didn't appreciate, but you believed was right. Articulate it. Just say, you know, hey, I was doing this for this reason. Also, don't sandbag judges. They hate that crap. So, uh, you know, if you're going to do something a little weird, talk to defense counsel and see if you can't just give the judge a heads up if you're trying to do something a little different. They do. They, they appreciate that. Uh, but um I would say with regard to just philosophy, um, our, we, yeah, we have a statutory obligation to see justice done. But justice is kind of this amorphous thing. It means different things to different people. The root word is based in Latin and Greek, righteousness and equity. Doing the right thing for the right reasons the right way and being fair with the result, whether that's, and it should include the community, the victim, if there is one, and the defendant. And we miss that third one a lot yeah. because we care about numbers. Don't care about numbers. It does not matter. You may lose six trials in a row. Okay. Did you put, can you honestly say you put everything into it? Cause the rest of it just comes with experience. So, um, just kind of maintaining that focus. And then I think, what was it? Nietzsche said that, be careful when you fight monsters, you yourself don't become one. So it's very easy. Uh, and I see it a lot with law enforcement. Um, if you're constantly surrounded by criminal elements and you're constantly going through these cases that are just the worst kinds of things to do to one another, don't get lost in it. Don't take it home with you as best you can. Um, because at the end of the day, You've got a job to do, but you got to take care of yourself. Otherwise, you're no good to anybody else. Um, yeah. But I think going into it, maintaining a mentality of just doing the right thing for the right way, the right reasons, uh, for the right reasons, uh, I'd be hard pressed to see how you go wrong. Yeah, that's 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 great advice. So thank you very much, and um, thank you for for joining me today. And um, all our listeners, uh, Mr. Jones will be. Uh, at on-campus interviews in August um, and this this video or this podcast will be up before um, those interviews occur so um, it'll be good to be able to kind of hear what's going on here and uh, for everybody to to get a better idea of um, what it's like in Nacogdoches so um, thank you for joining me today and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in and this has been another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast and we will catch you next time Thanks, sir.